I'm David Bruckner. I directed Amateur Night, uh, one of the shorts in VHS. I'm Hannah Fearman. I starred in Amateur Night. Oh, I think VHS as a whole, I think all these shorts really tap into um, some sort of primal, like, childhood nightmare that's gone awry. I mean, it's really basic stuff. It taps into, like, the male gaze. It taps into uh, uh, sexual deviance. It taps into uh, um, acts of containment. It's, uh, there's a lot of being trapped. It's uh, something about the format. You know, these short-form found footage movies are kind of a return to the basic sensation of being afraid. And, and you know, not knowing what all these other guys were going to do and looking up to their work so much and then getting to go out and see this movie and sort of like the first time I saw it was at the premiere at Sundance for the first time. And I was kind of blown away how everybody was able to tap into some, you know, the, the lower like sub brain that I have down here that is sort of afraid of something primal, you know. Taken from the aspect that people assume that a, a small thin woman is, is going to be in some way weaker of subservient and, and basically that it's kind of like, what is that? Uh, vagina dientes? What, what is it? Vagina dentata? Yeah, it's like vagina dentata, like, like you know, it taps into something that, that men are just deeply terrified of, 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 a, of a woman that isn't who she seems or is she's more gonna, powerful than him, I guess. She's going to punish you for, uh, for the things you want to see. I think the movie's making fun of men being men. I don't know, that it, I don't know what it offers to the female perspective, except uh, perhaps it's cheer-worthy at times, you know. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. 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 Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Speak All Evil Pod. Next week, I am calling the shots once again. Uh, we're going to check out the brand new movie called Fresh on Hulu, uh, and a much older movie from 1983 called Blood Beat on Shudder. That's two words on Shudder. You will find it sometimes as one word, Blood Beat. I am very very excited to talk is, about is there a theme here is there a theme yeah it's a old and new that's the theme okay oh, wow, <laughs> wow. it's the, it's the freshest right off the newest thing and something much older than that that's that's i'm i'm getting uh, constrained by these theme weeks um this week it's kevin's anthology week the long-awaited anthology week yay you did it yay. uh and we're gonna start with cat's eye yeah, so it's been a long time coming, guys. Thanks for letting me finally get here. Um, I think I could have done a better job. I'm just going to be honest right off the bat. I watched a ton of anthologies in the last like week and a half. Um, I broke my rib, so I had a lot of time of laying very still. The only thing I could maybe do was like point a remote control at a TV and scroll to the next anthology I wanted to watch. But you know, when we were talking, I thought it was kind of fitting that we would go back into the 80s when, you know, there's some some great older anthologies that are out there that you can find, but like the eighties sort of like brought like the anthologies and you had the creep show series, you had body bags. Um, but I went with Cat's Eye because I thought it held up honestly better than the creep show movies. And again, you have you know, creep the original creep show was George Romero and Stephen King working together. Obviously it was very hyped. And on this one, Cat's Eye, it's still it's a nineteen eighty five movie directed by Louis Teague and all and written by Stephen King. Two so it's three segments, two of which were taken from King uh, Night Shift stories. And then the third one was an original story written by King for this. So essentially, you have a cat that is traveling from place to place. And that's kind of like the, the only like wraparound. And we'll get to that, I think, in the second movie we'll talk about. Oh, we'll but get to it in this one. A lot of these wraparound, a lot of these anthologies have to have a wraparound. And in this one, it's just a cat that's tra very well-traveled, much more well-traveled than even I. And... Uh, you get three different stories. Uh, you have uh, Quitters, Inc., starring James Woods, about a man who desperately wants to quit smoking, which in the 80s seems like a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and then you have The Ledge, where a gangster catches Johnny and his wife trying to get away with their little lover's twist. Tryst. And then you have General, uh, 
where the cat becomes finally a main character in the story. And that one is starring uh, Drew, a very young Drew Barrymore. Um, so I used to watch this movie all the time when I was younger. I remembered it very fondly, and I actually enjoyed going back to it. Uh, in terms of like horror and anthologies at the time, like a lot of times they tried to throw in like a little humor with this stuff, like definitely the Creep Show uh, movies and Cat's Eye did the same thing. Um, I found this one to be like a little bit uneven. Uh, I, it's definitely a nostalgic thing for me where I watched it so often. This is one of the VHS tapes that I can see my grandmother's handwriting on. Used to go to her house and just like pop this thing in all the time. Um, I thought that Quitters Inc. was really good. And as far as anthologies go, I thought it was a King story that should have been a 90-minute movie instead of a 25-minute uh, anthology piece. Like it ended too early for me. The yep. Ledge, I used to love, and I was terrified of The Ledge, but I don't do well with heights. But now as like an adult watching it, um, a little bit one-trick pony, like a little bit cheesy. Uh, general, other than Drew Barrymore's performance, is like is pretty cheesy, to be honest. Like I was a little bit disappointed to find out that like this was King's like original idea for the movie. Because let's face it, like Stephen King is the king, but he's also not infallible. Uh, overall... Uh, this is fine. It's a good. It's a good one to go back to for like mid '80s and what they were kind of dancing around with in horror. A um, lot of better anthologies out there, um, but I, I don't know. What did you guys think? I wouldn't say this one was my favorite anthology one of the week. Um, I'm obviously a Stephen King fan, but this I don't know. This one was just. It was very. Um, it wasn't f a quick, fun one to kind of go through. I It took me like two times of like falling asleep during trying to watch it uh, to finally get through it. It was just, um, it kind of had the feel of like it was originally made for TV movie kind of a situation. Like the, the I don't know, just like the whole like vibe of it, the James Woods, the guy from Airplane. I don't know. It just had a very, a very made for TV situation, which isn't bad. You know, there are a lot of good made for TV movies. This one was just kind of boring and hard for me to get through. It just never like really grabbed my interest. I thought the stories themselves were interesting and I think I would like them if I just like read them without this weird interpretation of them on screen um, but it's interesting to know that the general was an original story for this movie but weirdly in in contrast to Kevin that one was my favorite one maybe because it was so goofy and like campy with that weird little troll and like the cat was finally like the character which I was kind of waiting for the whole time but I thought it was fun I thought it was like the scariest one personally because like I'm always scared that little creatures are going to try to get me in my house, I guess. Um, but uh, I don't know. Drew Barrymore's cute as a baby, baby tiny thing. I don't know. This just didn't really do it for me personally. I actually found this one to be the most enjoyable of the week. I also thought the same thing about... Uh, the last story in Cat's Eyes with the little troll. I think with you saying that you thought it was scary too, kind of dispels my theory, but I have kind of a theory that, you know, the things that you think are cool when you're little or the things that scare you when you're little are the things that tend to stick with you in like a really weird subconscious way. Uh, and this last part of it, I'll, I'm going to start there because you were just talking about it. Um, has like the same effect like the witches had mm -hmm. on me you know yep. with like the curled up toes and all that weird like it's almost like new england folk and i know that trolls are you know like like norwegian or something like that yeah but there's there's a certain like new england folk and i think that especially the earlier stephen king short stories really kind of has that vibe to it. Um, so, but that terrified me. And I love going through like old 80s stuff and trying to figure out why was I afraid of that? Because a lot of it will turn out now to be ridiculous. And this is yeah. a great example of that. <laughs> um, Quitters Inc. is amazing. That's like one of my favorite little short things. Uh, 
the thing with with anthologies is the great part is when you're watching them, you do have that feeling like, well, this will be over soon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this will be this will be done in a minute. Like I don't have to p- put up with too much. And yeah, I generally, I think. Because of that reason, too, sometimes it's good brainless, sit down and just watch something, and, and they tend to have more fun uh, when, when directors all join in together. Um, anthologies can involve multiple people working on them, so you get different styles, and uh, at the very least, you get a different story, say, every 20 minutes. These are longer. Uh, Both long. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, I mean, this is three stories, so they're yes, pretty hefty. They're they're not quite yeah. as quick as the yeah the other movie or, or even most anthologies. But uh, I like Cat's Eye, and I think it's just because I liked it as a kid. Yeah, I would call it Night Shift. I think is my favorite Stephen King book, partly because of what you were saying, Dave, about like if you don't like that story, at least you know you don't have another 45 minutes to go or another (laughs) hour, you know? You can kind of go through. But I think that Night Shift offers, like, such an early glimpse because that book was published, well, it's an anthology, but it was published in 1979. So everything in Night Shift, including Quitter's Inc. and The Ledge, King had written before 79. A lot of it had been published elsewhere, like Quitter's Inc. was, in like a collection magazines, literary magazines, stuff like that. Wasn't um, one of them like the, like the first one was like Playboy. Yeah. Oh, he's had, yeah. All kinds of stuff. That, yeah. Um, I think in the ledge, uh, the, the gangsta guy is like flipping through a Playboy. A pe- it's Penthouse. And oh, that's penthouse. where, the, yeah, yeah. And where that's where the, the ledge was published. Please. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I think that the, the, the collection is such a like cool glimpse into like early King where he's just, he's being so creative. He's just like unfettered in his, creativity and his imagination it's all very imaginative stuff and there's like 20 stories or something in that book i've read that book multiple times um and quitters inc is you know one of my favorites of the book this movie kevin same um early vhs for me this was like i was watching this shortly after it was released i didn't even know it was in theaters i don't think it played where we are in maine i don't remember it being out and i was going to movies at that time um but i just remember as soon as it was on on video renting it and I loved it. I watched it many times like you. Um, there are so many scenes in this whole whole movie that are like ingrained in my mind down to the pigeon poking the guy's yes. feet. The, the horn on the ledge, like all of these the fire things. fire hose. Like, oh, so much stuff. Um, and the I bad think, guys, really good bad guys, I thought. Great bad guys. Yeah, yeah. For a long time, I thought that this was like one of the undersung Better Sting, uh, Sting, Sting. Uh, Better <laughs> King. Since he left the police, and then he's in the movie. It's a very, it's a very tantric movie. Well, yeah, it's actually the the version of Every Breath You Take that is very gratuitously placed in Queer oh, wow. The cover, the cover. It's a cover. They yeah, they couldn't afford. They couldn't afford. It's the not real actually, deal, man. Yeah, and it's kind of a bad cover. I'm not convinced. I think some of the lyrics are actually wrong. I, I. I didn't bother to to like go that deep into it, but I'm not sure that guy was singing the song right. Um, <laughs> you know, the first time I watched this this week, I thought like, ah, eh, I love Quitters Inc. That is so far ahead of its time to write. Like, it's almost like an anti anti smoking. It's almost like Philip Morris sponsored that. The, the second time I watched it, I liked it a lot more. The first time I kind of was like, man, this hasn't really dated as well as as I would have hoped. But then I watched it again and I was more back in the nostalgia mode. And, mm. you know, I did have that moment where, like, I think I was watching The Ledge and I was like, oh my God, another hour. The Ledge isn't the most exciting thing to watch. No, it was when we were kids, though. It really was. It, it really, it had, it had something to it. Um, but then there, there was that moment where I was like, oh, wait, but another hour, but that's two, that's two movies. Boom, not so bad. Um, I think The Ledge could have been much scarier if there was more looking over the ledge. I feel like if you could do that today, because I'm terrified of heights, it's like one of my greatest fears. If you made that today, you could really get way more, like, more looking down. That's what's so scary to me is the looking down and all that. I think you could make it more scary. Um, General, the one with with Barrymore and the little troll, you know, the troll is so cool. Um, Practical effects troll looks awesome. I cannot argue with that for 85. It sucks that he has to be superimposed over so many scenes. Yes. I, I don't know why. <laughs> like they have this awesome, you know, practical effects troll, but then it's like he's 
superimposed. Um, He's pulling the blanket off her face. Yeah, her face looks, looks like a giant movie screen. So weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's at the drive-in watching uh, cats. <laughs> I just want to know though, why was the pigeon? Was this all of a sudden like an evil pigeon? It had like a razor beak. It can just like chew through somebody's like. F- shoe to like get them down off the I'm just saying uh well let me just there are many many questions about I I got so many things that happen in this movie (laughs) but I thought it was fun um and I did agree with you Kevin Quitters Inc could have been a movie when Quitters Inc ends it's disappointing I thought we were just getting started I thought we were just getting going yeah. Yeah, exa- yeah yes thank you Dave that's what it's literally one of the few things like so Dave when you said like when you're watching an anthology like a lot of times like you might be like lowering your standards I think that's what you were getting at because you're like well I only got like 18 minutes left of this I think a great anthology makes you forget that fact and when you get to the end of a segment you're like oh I'm not like waiting for the next movie that segment actually made me think like forget that I was watching an anthology and I wanted like 40 more minutes of it Quitters Inc. is a great example when that ended I was like holy shit, there's an entire film here. And the other, like, The Ledge is not. The Ledge was was great when we were kids because it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's doing that to this guy. Twilight Zone-y, though. Yes. Twilight Zone, yes. Or I would also compare The Ledge to um, something to tide you over from the first Creep Show with, oh, with Ted yeah. Danson. Very similar. Yeah, oh, yeah, right, yeah. Right. Good call. Good call. That had a lot more to it. I mean, that did that wrapped itself up much nicer than Quitters Inc. did, for sure. But I think we should mention like this. This was directed by one person. It was directed by Louis Teague, and we keep talking about King, but we should you know mention Teague. Uh, he directed Cujo for King, but he also directed Alligator, which is a pretty famous like '80s horror movie. And Jewel of the Nile, the much maligned uh, sequel to Romancing the Stone, which, Dave, I believe you're a big fan of. Um, So one thing about anthologies is interesting. And and you touched on this, Dave, is you get like different directors, maybe different writers. You get different people. And, you know, with this one, you have one writer, one director. With some of the other anthologies that I watch and definitely the next movie we're going to talk about, you have different directors and different writers. So the the art of the anthology is tricky. Like, what is better? Is it better when you put it in the hands of maybe one writer, one director? Or is it better when you get, when you put it in the hands of multiple writers and multiple directors? So not, not specific to Cat's Eye, but I wanted to point out that this is one of the anthologies where you have a single director and a single writer like, I don't know what's better. I, I, I guess we'd have to kind of break it down a little bit more and dig into it. But do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, uh, in terms of, like, what makes a better recipe for a good anthology? I would say I think I prefer separate directors, personally. Because what I ran into in the in uh, Cat's Eye was that each one just had that same vibe. It had the same kind yes. of blah, blah, blah. So it just yeah, it dragged did. on. And that's, I think, the problem that I was running into trying to stay awake <laughs> and pay attention to it. Whereas in the other one we watched, I'm pretty, you know, that one was, each one was so different. You know yeah. what I mean? So it was just very much like a, this is grabbing your attention now. And this is why this is getting your attention. Whereas the first one just had the same, this one just had the same formula over and over. And they tend to not have time to develop characters too much. So what you know you're going to get is not going to be like, you know, necessarily low brow, but it's going to be a simpler story that might rely on one or two things that happen or relationships rather than developing all this, you know, giant world, you know what I mean? I would have to watch uh, all of the anthologies to decide, but I'm, I'm not aware, like, my, you know, my idea of an anthology usually isn't Cat's Eye with one one director. Mm-hmm. Usually when I think of an anthology, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get treated to a whole bunch of different shorts from, from different filmmakers, and one of the knocks against anthologies is, of course, that they're uneven for that reason, but sometimes, like, to me, that's what's fun about it. That's what's fun about VHS, which we're going to talk about. Uh, Kevin, I'm surprised you didn't mention Louis Teague, the director of Cat's Eye. You mentioned, you know, stuff like Jewel of the Nile, but uh, he also made a movie called 
T-Bone and Weasel. Oh, I wasn't going to take that away from you. I mean, <laughs> you, you were excited about that this week. I, I was not going to steal your thunder. Louis Teague made a movie called uh, T-Bone and Weasel, and that's the, the letter T, the word bone, the letter N, and then the word weasel, and it stars Gregory Hines and Christopher Lloyd as oh. the titular characters T-Bone and Weasel. Now, I haven't watched it, but I did watch the trailer, and just off the trailer, I'm going to say it's probably one of the greatest buddy movies uh, <laughs> of, of its day. <laughs> ouch, ouch. Um, you guys remember Quibi? Yep. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, one anthology I really liked, while it should be put out as an anthology, was The 50 States of Fright, which was produced right. by and They never finished Sam all the Raimi. states. They didn't finish it. I thought it would, like, I loved it. It was, like, super... Me too. Uh, just, like, almost like horror bedtime stories, and you yeah. could just devour them in, like, 15 minutes. Um, the wraparound in this, the rap story about the there cat? Is, there, isn't, there isn't one. The cat's just traveling yeah, there is. From, from state to state. No, the cat gets, the cat sees Drew Barrymore's character in the window as a, as a mannequin in the beginning asking the cat for help. And then he sees her again later asking for help again. So on the whole TV, way. Yeah, on, he, on a TV commercial, yeah. Yeah, so the cat is on his way to save Drew Barrymore from the troll. That's the rap story. I forgot about that. Honestly, I forgot about that whole thing. Uh, I, I like the cat sections. I like the, the intro cat section huh. was just a very uh, blatant. Stephen King uh, around the neighborhood with true, you know, Christine true. and Cujo and all. Christine all and stuff. Cujo make appearances. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a honestly the most interesting thing about this movie is researching it and seeing like how much they were all jerking each other off mm. because <laughs> like you like you start you start the movie and the cat's being chased by Cujo and then they run by Christine. And then the car from Christine actually has a bumper sticker that that says something like you know like car from hell or something. In, in case like, you didn't notice the, uh, you have uh, James Woods is watching the Dead Zone and says yep. to the TV, "Who writes this crap?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you have Sally Ann in the last segment uh, reading Pet Cemetery like blatantly in bed. Yeah. Yep. Um, the one thing that did surprise me that I that I found is uh, well, IMDb told me about is the drawbridge scene uh, from I think it's from Quitters Inc. Yeah, uh, is the Isabel Holmes Bridge in North Carolina. And that's also the bridge that King used in his much maligned directorial debut of Maximum Overdrive. Oh wow! Um, um, but there, I mean, this this movie, like you 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 mentioned, Trent, like did it go to the theaters? It was a seven million dollar budget. It says it had like a thirteen and a half million dollar budget box office, so it must yeah. have been released some somewhere. Money. Yeah, I mean, this is when Dino De Laurentiis was producing everything that King wanted to do. Yeah, he Anything produced Maximum Overdrive, game. speaking of that. He produced everything that had King's name on it. Um, you had Jack Cardiff doing cinematography, who's a legend. Uh, Hitchcock, you know, one of the first people to, like, play with color and colorization. Um, you had Scott Conrad editing it, um, who won the uh, Academy Award for Rocky. Um, and then he went, like, bulk money. Uh, Alan Silvestri did the music. I mean, he did all the Back to the Future movies. He did Predator, The Abyss, Forrest Gump, What Lies Beneath, uh, Identity, tons of Marvel movies. Um, and what's interesting is somebody broke down the score of Back to the Future, which also came out in 1985. And Back to the Future was a full orchestral score. And Cat's Eye by Silvestri was a full synth score. And when I read this, they broke it down and said he basically copied all the Back to the Future stuff and just did it synth for Cat's Eye, go watch Cat's Eye again and listen to the score, and you're going to recognize things from Back to the Future. It's 100% true. He was like, oh, I got all this great music that I did with like a real-life orchestra, so why don't I just go hammer it out on a bunch of synths and get a paycheck, and no one will ever notice. It, you know, it probably went the other way around. He probably got the gig, <laughs> made it on a synth, and oh, and then got, got the Back to the Future. Got, sheet music, yeah. and some orchestra did it, and then he just took his demos and slung them to this Yeah, possible, possible, yeah. I don't know. It's, um, I guess, it's a it's a good one, but I think, I think for Trent, Dave, and myself, it's nostalgia. 
we watched this so much as kids and yeah. there were some things that really like actually stayed with us. I'm not kidding. Like Trent, same thing with you. Like first time I was like nostalgia. Second time I was judgy. Third time I was like, I literally don't have to watch this movie again because I feel the way I feel about it. And I know mm-hmm. every single scene yeah. and I'm done. Like it's good. Yeah. It's fine. It's it's there. Uh, Kat, I apologize. I could have yeah. done better. No, I mean, I did the same thing to you guys with, you know, 13 Ghosts when I was like, <laughs> it did. was scary when, it I was was when I was little watching it. You Can know? you so. stop trying to compare <laughs> any of our picks to 13 Ghosts to make yourself feel better? It's Listen. not. I'm, I will put my foot down. For, I've already done it once. I, I have will a, do it again. I have a topical story. Um, me and Nick recently went to a bar and I went to the bathroom and I came back and he was like, Cat, look what's on the TV. And the bartender had put on 13 ghosts. And I was like, ooh, girl, this doesn't hold up. And she's like, what? Really? I'm like, you're going to find out in about 30 minutes that this absolutely doesn't. But I appreciate the effort. So this movie, one thing that the the first two stories have in common, terrible henchmen. The the villain has very inept, very incompetent henchmen. They only, yeah. all their only job is to stop one guy who you know might try to run away from running away. And they even with guns, they have guns, and they still somehow the guy from Airplane outsmarts them. And, <laughs> you know, like James Woods overpowers. Thank them. you so much, the guy yeah. from Airplane. Yes, yeah. it took That's... me the whole movie, and I loved Airplane as a kid. I was what? like, how do I know that guy? And then I was like, duh, uh, Airplane. Right away, I recognized like as soon as he came on screen, I was like, oh, it's the guy from airplane and maybe yeah. like the rest of the time he was on i was like is he gonna do something funny is something funny gonna happen so maybe that also you know steered me in the wrong direction but um this this also did the ledge um had me looking into um when the bad guy uh Kressner, who's played by the great kenneth mcmillan who i thought was great in this that was like the high yeah, who, who died high like four years after this came out uh at, at one point he says he says to, he doesn't welch on a bet and you guys know that expression like to Welch on a bet? Mm-mm. I know it, but racist, I don't know where right? it comes from. You've never heard that, Kat? No. You've never heard a Welsh on a bet? I've never heard a Welch on a bet. It's very old school. I've, I've, heard it. I've never thought about it like my whole life growing up, you know, and I always thought it was like to Welch, like W-E-L-C-H, Welch on a bet. And then one time I was like wondering like, maybe it's Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, Welsh on a bet, like, like the from Wales. People? Yeah. Yeah, so I looked into it, and we don't know. It is thought by some to have come from a very old slur against people from Wales that we don't oh. even know what it was anymore, but that is not... Um, it, it, there doesn't seem to be a consensus on whether Welshing on a bet is a slur or not. This sounds like a job for the microfiche. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the internet doesn't have it. I'm going to start a, a, a private investigating firm slash bodyguard firm and we're going to be called the microfiche oh roll around (laughs) solving crimes and taking names my my last thing on this is that i real i did really like when the troll in in the the last story the the troll reveal when they first show him come out of the wall pretty pretty good stuff i like that every single bad guy in this had an evil laugh (laughs) 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 I got nothing. Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Yes, can. 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 can I kick it? All right, the next movie that we're going to talk about in Kevin's Anthology Week, I just referred to myself in the third person and I apologize. You did. Wow. <laughs> would be 2012's VHS which was one of the movies, uh, early movies, by Bloody Disgusting. BloodyDisgusting.com is one of my favorite websites. It has been my go-to since this site started, and I think around 2001 or so. 
And Brad Miska, the founder of Bloody Disgusting, started to delve into other horror things, which I love. It's this community where, you know, if you can, you know, help it help it thrive. Uh, BD and Brad has has done that for sure. So this is an interesting one because it's more of like a found footage anthology and it's one unlike the the cat's eye movie that we talked about where you have one director one writer this is one where brad miska said hey i have this idea around vhs tapes and i'm going to throw it out to a bunch of people that i've made contacts with over the years and it was a bunch of up-and-comers at the time, they were up-and-comers. These have since become very well-established people in the horror world. And he said, just submit things to me. And, you know, we'll see if we can get this movie made. You guys go out there. It had a whopping $242,000 budget. And you have people wow. like Adam Wingard, who does the wraparound, which is much more substantial on this one than in Cat's Eye. Adam Wingard would go on to do Your Next, The Guest, Blair Witch, Death Note, and recently Godzilla vs. Kong. So he kind of graduated into the big time. Uh, David Bruckner that we've talked about, who did The Signal Southbound, The Ritual, which we have talked about, and The Night House, which is one of my favorite movies. He will also be doing 2022's Hellraiser reboot. Ty West shows up here. Um, obviously, uh, we've talked about him on House of the Devil and the Innkeepers and the Sacraments. We've, we've covered a bunch of Ty West stuff. Uh, Glenn McQuaid, not so much. Uh, he does a segment. Uh, I Sell the Dead is like the only thing I've seen him do. And then you have Joe Swanberg, who actually acts in one of the segments of this. And he has done a whole bunch of stuff in uh, XX, Sacrament, Second Honeymoon, You're Next. Um, and then Radio Silence does the final segment of this, which we just talked about them because they did uh, Scream 5. And before that, they did Ready or Not, which we talked about. And, uh, I, I mean, it's a huge, huge cast of characters, directors, actors, everybody. Um, I loved this when it first came out. It's also interesting that, it, like, like I said, it's like a found footage anthology and uh, very unique, very lo-fi um, I like this one, guys. I'm not going to go on too much more until we get like like breaking down segment by segment. But I thought that this one held up pretty well, actually better than I remembered it. And I've seen this one a number of times. But watching it like in anthology mode, I thought that uh, VHS is uh, other than the wraparound. That VHS like segment by segment is a pretty good a pretty good time. I love this movie. I think this is like, I think this is one of the best examples of anthology and also of found footage, which aren't, neither of them are my favorite genres, but this manages, I think, to do both really, really well. Um, I, you know, there's things about it that I don't love, but pound for pound, I mean, these, to me, these are great, creative, imaginative stories. They are um, well paced. It really, you know, goes by and like, it really keeps you engrossed. I mean, it keep, it kept me engrossed. Um, I, I loved it the first time I saw it. I hadn't seen it in years and, uh, I loved it just as much, uh, maybe more. I, I kind of want to rewatch the second one now. Cause I liked that one a lot too. Um, what a who's who I mean, you covered it, Kevin. This is like so many people who have done so many things. Um, I didn't even realize, um, the, the, the first story, Amateur Night, it's called. I didn't realize that Bruckner, David Bruckner, who did a, a spinoff, a, a feature-length version of Amateur Night in 2016. You guys seen that? Yeah, he produced it. He didn't direct that one. Okay, that's okay. Maybe that's why I didn't realize. Probably okay. just like name attached. Um, but it, that's pretty good too. I would put that like on like on par with like Hostel Three. Um, have not seen Hostel 3. Big fan of the first two. Um, <laughs> the, you know, obviously this is like my only problem with it, other than the usual like found footage problems. It's such a bro down. This is like the most bro down movie oh of God. all yes. time. Yes. Like, yeah. And it's, you know, it's over, it's 10 years old now. Uh, that's the release is 10 years old. So um, presumably it was made before that. So I wonder if. You know, if if it was done now, 
I wonder if all these bros would at any point think to themselves, like, man, this is like so gratingly brodacious, the whole thing. <laughs> like, oh, God, all the care, because these are just all chums and they're all um, one of the guys um, who uh, directed um, uh, Swanberg, Joe Swanberg, who directed the sick thing that happened. I'm not going to say the whole title. It's too long. He directed that segment, um, which is the the Zoom call, very COVID. He actually is the star of Second Honeymoon, yeah. The the, the movie with the two the couple uh, on in the hotels and stuff. So like I get that, and and I also get that like a lot of the characters are supposed to be objectionable bros, starting right out mm-hmm. with with the rap story and going right <laughs> right through Amateur Night. Like I get that they're supposed to be bad, but it, it gets a little rough sometimes when you have to spend two hours with people that are that annoying and bad mm-hmm. and like just lunk headed. Like, oh my God, Ugh. I felt like I was at a frat party for two hours. Not that there's anything wrong with frats, but I'm just saying well, it was a little much. But overall, I love this one. This is a great anthology. I would definitely recommend VHS if you haven't seen it. Uh, I think I would like to pitch a very simple VHS uh, concept to them, which is a bunch of bros go out to get laid. And if they don't get laid by dawn, they explode. <laughs> that, and, that would be right unless, at home. of course, yeah. if they get blue balls, then they, they explode within an hour. And they're almost like vampires. And um, I think that would be, make a great short film for the, G, the VHS thing. I, I had two different thoughts on this. And I thought the same thing you did, Trent, about the Brofest. Like I'd uh. seen it before and it hadn't occurred to me as much. This time I'm yeah. watching it, I'm like, oh yeah, these bros doing terrible bro things right out the gate. And then I was thinking, oh, they're the bros that the thing happens to in the first segment. And I was like, oh no, the bros find the tape of the bros. <laughs> like, it's just this big society. Like, where where are they? Because I don't want to go there. Uh, it's like a really bad version of the old port. Uh, but um, it's just... But then it's I just thought Wharf also Street that maybe, on crack. in a way, this is almost like a, a a backlash or a you know wink wink to the slashers and stuff that preceded this that were just you know like ditzy girls that wanted to have sex getting speared in all the Friday the Thirteenths and and you know the the tropes that with women that they were. But I don't I didn't think that they were winking in this. It felt a little bit like. There were some bros behind the camera too, and they were like selling their bro p- propaganda. But propaganda, I did, I did like parts of this. I did like some of the characters. I liked the the freaky girl in the beginning. I kind of have a little bit of a crush. The on siren her. thing. Yes. Yeah, a little I bit. Loved her. Uh, just the non blinking. I just have a thing for people that don't blink. It's dope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I like this less this time. The jittery camera stuff, I just not, didn't have the patience for. Uh, it might just be because um, I'm sick this week. But it was really like, ugh, like just stop and just hold the camera. No one does this all the time. And, you know, you can also kind of tell that the parts that you want to see most are the parts that you can't see, <laughs> which I'm not talking about like the, the killer's faces and stuff, but some of the gore, uh, you can tell they are like cheating. So I, you know, from a technical standpoint, uh, I didn't love that part of it, but, um, yeah, VHS is meh for me this time. Well, I had never seen this one. So I was excited to finally watch it. It was another one where I'm like, save it for the pod give your hot take it almost it lost me at first because of the abundance of bros Mm. i will say i was like i don't know i confused like dave said like i confused bros with other bros and didn't really understand when the (laughs) anthology started i was like they're all the the bros just melded together but once i figured it out i thought it was really fun i really liked the premise you know spooky tapes in a spooky house Uh, it all tied together by this group of bros uh burglarizing this place and then like watching all of these you know scary found footage tapes trying to find the one that they'd been sent there specifically to theft um 
What was on that one, though, I think is a question we all should be asking. What was on the tape that they needed to get? We never find out. Interesting. Uh, But anyway, I thought the stories themselves were very interesting for the most part. I liked that they were all by the different directors, and so it was all a different vibe. Um, There always seemed to be a paranormal or evil, you know, entity in each one, and I thought um, each one had its own specific spooky vibe uh, that worked very well within its own story. I didn't, I didn't really dislike any of them. I thought some were a little less interesting than others. Uh, they all, you know, started very slow and like, uh, you know, just setting up like the normalcy of a home video kind of a situation. But you yeah, knew, yeah, you knew something weird was going to go down eventually but you know you start off just thinking uh, just kind of waiting for that spooky bomb to drop Um, but I thought it was super effective each one had its own effectiveness for sure Um, I definitely think they saved the best for last in this one too Um, the 98 1998 Halloween one was definitely my favorite of the whole group Um, got real spooky real fast also like humorous you know before we like get into them all you know just like all these bros again bros um (laughs) just excited to celebrate halloween they're like oh this haunted house ha 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 and then it takes a real quick turn um i just i really liked this anthology i'm excited to give it another watch i'm excited to watch the sequels we'll see how those go but you know i think the the cool thing is that at least uh the bros usually get it so, it's it's that interesting nice. that you like the last one the best. Why? I actually thought that the last one was like the most when I first watched it. I thought the last one was the most like predictable. Like I didn't think anything like crazy about it, but also like if you if you really think about this movie in each each segment and we're talking about Brofest there's, I think we can go deeper. I don't know if we want to, but think about the fact that like Siren is the first segment. Yeah, Brofest. They're going out to the bars. They have like the sunglasses, uh, the glasses with the camera in them, and they want to pick up some chicks. And who ends up being the protagonist in that? The Siren. Okay, well, it's not but that. But then, hold on. But then, second honeymoon. Second segment, you have Joe Swanberg and his wife out there and some they're going hotel to hotel. They're on their second honeymoon. And who ends up being the protagonist? I know the answer. This is a pattern. A woman. Every segment of this film ends up having a female as the protagonist. You mean that the 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 antagonist is a woman in each story, not the protagonist? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. So go ahead and say that whole thing again. <laughs> what? So go ahead and you say that whole thing again. You said protagonist before. <laughs> antagonist. I mean, I thought they were the protagonists, but whatever. <laughs> well, there was a, there was righteousness that you felt uh, for them when these guys got it. You were glad that they got it. They made very unlikable people the whole time. It was, it was a little bit much, though, for me. I just felt like I was uh, having to, I don't know, there's a different kind of horror. It's like a social anxiety and horror together. I don't know. I thought that this didn't even need the rap story. I like, I know that they're... Thank you. It, they're tr- you know, they're trying to say, like, why are you watching all these VHS tapes? But I don't think it matters why. It's called VHS. You're watching a bunch of found footage VHS tapes. I think I would rather have had nothing than have had this ridiculous story that that begins with a bunch of guys are being paid, according to them, $50 a pop to mug and assault people. Great. $50? Women. $50. Well, that's the one we see. Maybe they've done men too. I mean, that's so dumb. Like, I just don't understand how you write a screenplay and you write, we get $50 every time we (laughs) mug and assault someone. Well, you know, I mean, that's at uh, least that's plot, at least a hundred bucks. 
Yeah, you're putting you're putting ideas in Dave's head now. <laughs> the biggest, well, the biggest plot hole is that they're going to this place because these tapes are of some great value. <laughs> well, there's one. There's supposed to be one tape. Um, that's another part. It's got King Kong versus one Godzilla tape to rule on them it. all. But, okay, so so stay with me here. So they're looking for one tape. So they're watching, or at least a couple of them at different points. They're watching all these crazy things. At no point do they think this must be the tape I'm supposed to get that has a vampire on it. Maybe this is the one. They're like, I don't know what tape. They're it like, be. you'll know, you'll know when you Bro, find it. Bro, you've just been Pants. watching snuff What's movies. All of them. <laughs> um, also. Yeah, go ahead. How did people get these tapes? There's a lot of unanswered well, questions, the, okay. which don't really need to be answered, I guess. I think they're implying that there's like a dark web. Like it's the dark web of like VHS trading. They find a dead body in the house that they're burglarizing. Doesn't bother them at all. They're not worried about being no. caught in a house with a Until dead body. Until it disappears. Um, yeah, what the they fuck? They find a dead body that's- and then they're like, let's check the basement. No big deal. They deserve it's a dead to die. Guy. Like I don't know that. I thought horror I thought, movies one hundred and one. Yeah, I thought they could have done away with the wraparound story, and they could have done away with like one segment. And and I'm not sure what segment. Like maybe. I, I no. No. I I think uh, if, maybe, if you're gonna say maybe, second maybe, honeymoon, I think second honeymoon is the unsung, unsung one of this. Oh, I would never. I would never the say one that. The best, okay, best one of the best one. Maybe the glitch. Like maybe the glitch one. Like uh, what was that? Like um, Tuesday the seventeenth. Yep. And that makes it confusing anyway. Like the first, you know, the wraparound with the first story. They definitely meld together. I still don't know which one is which because it's all a bunch of white dudes, and I can't tell the difference between them. They're like all the I same age. Yeah, it's it's very much a melding. Like if they had gone from the wraparound to like second honeymoon, you know what I mean, and then like done that. Like I feel like it would have been an easier distinction. I feel like instead of going just from wraparound to more bros filming bros doing bro stuff, it it would have been a little easier to follow. I thought all of the twists were great though in this. The only one mm-hmm. Oliver Twist was good. Y- you could say. Um, <laughs> Um, you, you could say like Tuesday the seventeenth didn't have the best twist, but all of the other ones I thought had great twists. I didn't really see yeah. any of them, and I loved that twist in Second Honeymoon so good. That kind of reminded me of really of good. our uh, voyeur week. I, I kind of wish we yeah. there. I wish there was more hotel motel horror because hotels to me are like not necessarily scary, but hotels motels they can be like very spooky. And there's there's just there's something about like the liminal space of those hallways and like not knowing who is in this is a whole giant building with people or maybe not so many people. You don't know who any of them are. There's like this sense of like anything could happen. You know, I think that there should be as, um, Kat, as Kat and I are sitting here in hotels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You. Thank yeah, you so much. You guys are there could be a girl in a room next to you. That's podcasting. Who's locked her boyfriend in the bathroom watching wrestling. <laughs> that's an actual thing that could happen if you were at a hotel. The sick thing that happened is so far ahead of its time. Like people now are making horror movies about being on Zoom calls. We talked about the host, I think, on Patreon. Um, that was I, I couldn't believe how far ahead of its time it was. And I don't know, like, I don't know. I mean, 2010, 2012. I don't think it was that common. I guess it was for some people to be hanging out on those like video calls. But that struck me as like being um, strangely um, prescient. Really, really liked that one. And the and oh, the that twist. One was there was awesome. That, that there twist. was more than one. There was like two or three twists. I, I think that this, uh, like it or not, did uh, like set off a whole bunch of anthology movies to hit streaming services and to put budgets behind anthology horror. I I think what it did is it brought together people. You know, I think what what one of the things that this movie did is like we talked about like Wingard and. You know, Bruckner and McQuaid, Swanberg, you know, Radio Silence, like people like come together and they'll do things and 
like very, very willingly come together. And and you saw in like Creep Show and Cat's Eye, like the, the the cast of Cat's Eye is unbelievable. Like people willing to come together and just be like, Yeah, sure, I'll do that. Like I think that's the brilliance of anthologies is you can really get people to be like, Oh, I don't have to dedicate myself to like a year and a half of, you know, pre production and you know filming and doing all this stuff like oh we can just come together and like throw some shit together i think that's why i love anthologies it's a great platform to like bring people together that like really love our genre that we love so much the best gag in this whole thing to me was during the last one 10:31:98, where they're going to the halloween party and they're all dressed up and one of the guys this is the whole the thing that the whole segment hinges on one of the guys is dressed as a nanny cam teddy bear. So he has a giant teddy bear suit on. And as part of the suit, he has a camera like that's his costume. And that's what records everything that happens. I love that gag. I thought that was so smart because you don't have to have a character being conscious of what he's doing, of holding a camera. They, they get away with that in Amateur Night with the, with the glasses, which was eh, as a gag, not it. Mm fine i like that one a lot but to have the ability to show that found footage without having a conscious person filming i thought that really made it work because you forget even why it's being filmed like every once in a while they show him walk by a mirror or something to remind you why it's being filmed um and and also i i loved how that turned into like a cult, uh, almost a folk horror type thing. I thought that was a, a great turn in that one. Somebody called it predictable. I, I didn't. I didn't really expect that. But um, that 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 whole the, the whole reason that that one exists, I thought was very good. I like that one the best too. Really? Yeah, the last one. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. I I, I loved Amateur Night. I'd, I'd be interested in seeing the uh, spinoff, even if it wasn't uh, directed by uh, Bruckner. Um, and second honeymoon really, really stays with me too, because you're not, it's so simple. Like nothing happens really. They're like, until the twist, when the twist happens, you're like, holy. It's so Ty West. Yeah. It, it's such a, the, the twist like makes everything. There's not that much going on. It's, it's almost like, seems like very small time, very minor stuff. You, you're not sure what's happening. And then bang you're like wow did not see that coming even having seen it before i kind of forgot <laughs> what happened there's a lot of great anthologies out there um go check out xx holidays scare package mortuary collection feel got it evil uh it's it's literally like one of my favorite uh ways to digest horror i love it <laughs> 